Episode 3. The Triangle Factory Fire Project by Christopher Peeler and Scott Allen Evans. Welcome to Hear Play Audio Theatre. My name is Simon Jones. After numerous delays, the trial has finally begun, and the prosecution has made its case. It has distilled the event down to a single death, that of Margaret Schwartz, who died at the Washington Place door on the ninth floor of the Ash Building just off Washington Square in New York City. In this, the third and final episode, the defense, led by the brilliant attorney Max Stoyer, gets underway, culminating in a verdict that rocks the very foundations of the halls of justice. The Triangle Factory Fire Project, Episode 3. New York has a long history of scandalous fires. In 1905, a tenement on Allen Street was consumed by flames. Twenty people, all immigrants, died, including ten children who were found trapped in front of a locked skylight leading to the roof. Mayor McClellan was running for re-election, so it was immediately clear that someone would have to be held responsible. All eyes turned to the Tenement House Department Commissioner. The commissioner testified to the coroner that the Allen Street building had been inspected 14 times in the six months preceding the fire, and that his inspectors regularly cleared the fire escapes of furniture, clothing, and perishable food, only to have them cluttered again within hours of their departure. Despite these facts and his strong denial of responsibility, the commissioner was forced to resign. The scandalous fire ruined his political career. The commissioner's name was Thomas C.T. Crane. And nearly six years later, who sat on the bench? Who was the judge weighing the evidence against Harrison Blank? The same Thomas C.T. Crane. Miss Levantini, were you employed by the defendants at the time of the fire? I was. Are you now? No, sir. Miss Middleman, are you currently employed by Mr. Harris and Mr. Blank? Yes. I see. Miss Levantini, do you have a civil suit pending against the defendants? I do. So why are you testifying in their defense? To tell the truth. Miss Middleman, you worked near Miss Levantini, didn't you? Yes, on the first row of machines from the Washington Place side. After the power was shut off on March 25th, where did you go? I went to May's table. I was just in the dressing room, coming out of it when Ida called me. Then we heard a noise and May came along and asked what was the matter, and I said, I don't know. We went to the Washington Place elevator, but it didn't come up. She says, May, May, I think the elevator must have dropped because I hear the girl screaming. I went to the elevator and I listened at the Washington Place side and I didn't hear no screaming in the elevator. Then May said, Ida, let's go to the door. And the two of us rushed to the door and I opened the door. Did you turn the key in the lock yourself and find it unlocked? No, I did not try the lock myself. The key was right in the door tied to a string. I turned the key. The key was in that Washington Place door, wasn't it? Yes, sir. And it was attached to the door by a string, wasn't it? Yes, sir, by the string. About three or four inches long, a, a piece of tape or something about a half inch wide. What color was that string? It was a checked piece of string, a half inch wide if not more. So you turned the key attached to the string, and then... Ida opened the door. Miss Middleman, when you gave a statement to the district attorney, did you tell him that you opened the door yourself? Now, which one of us turned the key or the knob, I, I couldn't remember then, but 
Now I do remember that it was May. I turned the key. She pulled the door. I walked out first. And I walked out with her. Were there any other persons around the door when you did this? No. I was the first one at the door. When you got out in the hallway, what did you see? I looked down and I see the girls running down the stairs. Then flames and smoke came right up and they made me turn right in. All I could see was heads and the smoke was thick, so I ran back. And after you passed through the open Washington Place door on the ninth floor a second time, did you see Margaret Schwartz? I didn't look who was there or was not there. I, I turned right in and ran to the elevator where I thought I could get down much quicker. After you had been out of this Washington Place door and looked over the stairway, did you lock the door again? No, sir. Did you ever talk to the Italian consul about the fire? I did. And did you tell him that you opened the door? Uh, I, I, I don't remember. I have here an affidavit from the Italian consul saying that you made no mention of opening the door. Did that part come to you after you had talked to Mr. Bernstein? No, I told the truth. And what is the truth? I opened the door. You said Ida opened the door. I, I turned the key in the lock. And that is your memory of what you actually did? Not what someone told you you did? It is. How often have you talked to Miss Leventini about all this? We're best friends. We talk all the time. And has your talk with May Leventini made the thing fresh in your mind? Yes, sir. She told me it all. She told you all about it? She told me about how the two of us did go in the hall, and that is what I do remember. And about the door. She said she seen me open it. May says she saw me pull the door. And you believe that? I do. Well, that is, at first I didn't remember, but being that I was after May, then she said she was at the door first. It makes sense that I pulled the door. Because May said so, it is perfectly clear, isn't it? Certainly. Mr. Bernstein, what is your occupation? I am superintendent and manager of the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory. How long have you held that position? Twelve years. And in those twelve years, how often did you go from one floor of the Ash Building to another? <laughs> More than I can count. Through which door did you enter and leave the ninth floor? Either the Green Street door or the Washington Place door, depending on where I was. Do you use the Green Street and Washington Place doors indiscriminately? Mm, yes, sir. And were those doors ever locked during working hours? Never. Did you ever lock either of these doors yourself? At the end of each day, I turned the key in the Washington Place door, but left the key in the lock. Why did you do that? So that the girls would leave by the Green Street door and have their purses searched by the watchman. Did you tell Mr. Harris and Mr. Blank that you were turning the key in the door on March 25th of this year? No, sir. Mr. Bernstein... Were you forcibly removed from the criminal court's building earlier this year? I was. Because you were attempting to bribe witnesses? No, sir. I was there in answer to a subpoena. And there's the young man who served me the subpoena. Did you serve me that? Hmm? Answer me. Did you or did you not? <laughs> Look, he's smiling. Mr. Bernstein, you were seen by a bailiff talking to girls on their way in to testify before the grand jury. What did you say to them? When this man came out, I was talking to one of the girls, but it had nothing to do with the case. And did you offer this girl money for any reason? No. Did you not visit May Leventini at her home? I did, because she was sick. Did you give money to May Leventini to say that she left the ninth floor by the Washington Place door? No. Did you suggest she change her version of the story after she had talked to the Italian consul? No. There's no need to shout, Mr. Bernstein. Since the fire... 
Has your salary increased? Oh, that's none of your business. Mr. Bernstein. I, I'm making more now than before, mm-hmm. How much more? About three dollars more a week. People's Exhibit 31 is the payroll records of the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory. Mr. Bernstein, what is the difference between your salary in March 1909 and on the day of the fire? It's the same. So, your pay was the same for the two years before the fire, but in the nine months since the fire, you've gotten a raise? That's right. And have any of the other employees received comparable raises? <laughs> I don't know. Mr. Bernstein. No, they haven't. So, you were the only one to get a raise. Mr. Bernstein, what was your brother's name? Jakob. And how did he die? He perished in the fire, sir. I am sorry for your loss. But I have to ask you, if your brother was killed by this terrible fire, why are you here testifying for the men who have been blamed for his death? Because it wasn't their fault. It was an act of God. Mr. Harris, Mr. Blank, thank you for coming. You're welcome. Of course. How do the two of you work as co-proprietors? I am a designer and a pattern maker, and I oversee production. I'm mainly concerned with sales. Mr. Blank, how many people do you employ at the Triangle Waste Company? In the busy season, about uh, 500. How many shirt waists can you produce in one day at peak production? Around 2,000 waists per day. 2,000 wastes per day, that is impressive. That would make the gross annual income of the Triangle Company about... About one million dollars per year. Did your work take you from one floor of the Ash building to another? Many times a day. And did you use the Washington Place door? Yes, many times. And did you ever find the Washington Place door on the ninth floor ever locked? Never. Not once. Mr. Harris... You ordered a watchman stationed at the Green Street door on the ninth floor, did you not? Yes. Did you order a watchman at the Washington Place door? No. Was the reason you ordered a watchman at the Green Street door only because you kept the Washington Place door locked? No. The employees could get out any way they wished. What did you do when you realized there was a fire? I guided girls onto the Washington Place elevators until they stopped running. At this point, I started to holler, girls, let us go to the roof. We all rushed to the Green Street stairs. The smoke was getting heavy and the room was getting dark. Did you fear for your life? I was not thinking of that, but the girls were afraid of the smoke, so I said, go. One of you, two of you, if you can't all go, better at least one should get out. I brought them out onto the roof, climbed to an adjacent building, broke a skylight, and passed back the ladder I found there. Was your sister working on the ninth floor at the time of the fire? She was. Mr. Harris, would you ever allow your own sister to be locked in a room that was even slightly prone to fire? Absolutely not. Mr. Blank, what are the ages of your children? Mildred is twelve and Henrietta is five. Two little girls. And where were they on the day of the fire? They were in the office with me. Their mother had gone south, and I was going to take some shopping. And what was your first thought when you heard the cry of fire? To get the girls to the roof. How did you do that? I picked up Henrietta, and another man picked up Mildred, and 
we ran out through the smoke. They were screaming and, and crying even after we got out, and I kissed them. Thank you, sir. Mr. Harris, did you tell Robert Wolfson on March 27th last that the door had to be locked or the employees would steal your fortune? Who is Robert Wolfson? Didn't he work for you for nine years? Oh, the cutter. Ah, yes, I know him. Did you tell him what I asked you? I never speak to those people. Did you see him March 27th, two days after the fire? Yes. Did you tell him you had to keep the door locked? I can't remember what I said to him. Mr. Bostwick, here, catch. What? What is this? A pocketbook. Just open it and see for yourself how big it is. Mr. Harris, is theft a major problem in your company? It is. You see how many wastes can be crammed into a small space like that. What evidence of theft do you have? We once locked up about six girls, and we found in the room of one girl about two dozen wastes, and another girl had about three dozen wastes. And what action did you take against these thieves? This was not long after the strike, and we didn't want to make any trouble, so we discharged them. But you declined to press charges against these girls who clearly stole from you. We could not, because when we arrested a few of them and had them fined, a few of the girls sued us for damages. We found the best way was to discharge them and not bother with them anymore. How much in all the instances would you say was the value of all the goods that you found had been taken by these employees? In one year, you mean? In one year. Prior to the fire? Yes. Well... $10, or $15, or $12, or $8, something like you that. You would say it was not over $25, wouldn't you? I object to that Did as immaterial. Did the lost to theft each year exceed $25? No, it would not exceed that much. Mr. Harris, was there any rule in your factory that the door on the Washington Place side should be locked before the employees left the shop? No orders were given. There was no such thing as a locked door on the premises. Did you know whether the Washington Place door was locked or unlocked at 4.45 on March 25th of this year? I did not. I had no idea. Defense rests in triangle Blank trial. cries for children. Harris bemoans Four oh, witnesses contradict the testimony of Harrison Blank's girl employees. Says triangle doors were never locked. Gentlemen of the jury, I charge that before you find these defendants guilty of manslaughter in the first degree, you must find that this door was locked. You must also find beyond a reasonable doubt that such locking caused the death of Margaret Schwartz. And you must find that the door was locked with the knowledge of the defendants. Now do your duty. There will come a time when your time will end, you golden princes. Meanwhile, let this haunt your consciences. Let the burning building, our daughters in flames, be the nightmare that destroys your sleep, the poison that embitters your lives, the horror that kills your joy. And in midst of celebration for your children, 
May you be struck blind with fear over the memory of this red avalanche until time erases you. Mr. Foreman, have you reached a verdict? We have. On the first charge of manslaughter in the first degree, do you find the defendants guilty or not guilty? Not guilty. On the second charge of manslaughter in the second degree, do you find the defendants guilty or not guilty? Not guilty. Is that the verdict of all of you? That's right. That's the verdict of all of us. Thank you, gentlemen. That concludes your service. The defendants are free to go. 146 dead, no one guilty. Evidence of 100 witnesses failed to convict. Harris and Blank leave court with a strong police guard the to protect them. in the streets hisses and reviles the as defendants. As long as the working girl has no vote, she will get no justice if such justice is against any man. I've interest. seen you. I heard every word. You're not scary. You're just greedy old men. You should be locked Murders. up. Quant sees you. He knows what you did. What made up your mind in this case? I believed that piece of charred wood and the lock with the shot bolt that the state put into evidence. But then I believed also the testimony that the key was usually in the door and that it was tied to it with a piece of string. So there was the thought in my mind that during the first rush for the door, some panic-stricken girl might have turned the key in an effort to open it. And if that was so, then Harrison Blank could not have known it, as the judge demanded they should to be convicted. I cannot see that anyone was responsible for the disaster. Seems to me it was an act of the Almighty. What is your occupation, sir? I'm a factory owner. Triangle jurors smuggled out of Women courtroom. urge new triangle trial. Suffragists and Women's Trade Union League demand Triangle punishment. bosses settle 23 civil suits. Families of the dead get $75 each. Juror regrets verdict, says Crane's charge left him no Triangle choice. Triangle bosses get $445 a life from insurance companies. Dear Mama, I think of that day every day. Every day I hear the bell and run down the stairs. I smell the smoke but keep going down. Every day I try to run back to save Margaret and I trip. I fall. I scream at the policeman to let me go. Please, let me go back inside. Every day. Please don't be mad or sad or anything. Someone has to pay for what happened. I love you. Max. Plan for new Triangle trial drop. Brother of Triangle fire victim commits suicide. Note blames Harris and Blank. Mrs. Schwartz, I'm sorry for your loss. He was a good worker. Mrs. Schwartz, wait. Please. I'm so sorry. Mrs. Schwartz. Mrs. Schwartz? Hey, watch where you're going. I'm sorry. Mr. Bernstein. You're drunk. <laughs> yes. Go home, then. I've been to everyone, you know. Everyone what? Funerals. This makes 147 funerals. And no one says a word to me. I say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And they say nothing. See? Nothing. I did what I was told. Put me on trial. Nobody puts me on trial, but nobody forgives me either. 
I forgive you, Mr. Bernstein. You do? Yes. I don't deserve it, but thank you. Thank you. I should go with the others. Oh, please, tell Mrs. Schwartz if there's anything I can do. There is something, but it is for me. Uh, what is it? Talk to Mr. Harris for me. We are trying to bring over my little cousin and I need a better job. You want me to talk to Mr. Harris? Yes, please. Didn't you hear? They fired me. Oh. Do you still forgive me? No. When a stranger dies, it's easy to stay impartial. But when it's dozens of your neighbors, it's impossible not to editorialize. So here's my opinion. If Harrison Blank had been found guilty, the entire episode would have been forgotten in a week. But the law said there was no murder, so these became 146 deaths by natural causes. And as is always the case with natural causes, everyone had an opinion about what exactly went wrong. I would be a traitor to those poor burned bodies if I came here to talk good fellowship. We have tried, you good people of the public, and we have found you wanting. This is not the first time girls have been burned alive in the city. Every week I must learn of the untimely death of one of my sister workers. Every year, thousands of us are maimed. There are so many of us for one job, it matters little if 146 of us are burned to death. We have tried you, citizens. We are trying you now. And you have a couple of dollars for the sorrowing mothers, brothers, and sisters by way of a charity gift. But every time the workers come out in the only way they know to protest against conditions which are unbearable, the strong hand of the law is allowed to press down heavily upon us. I can't talk fellowship to you who are gathered here. Too much blood has been spilled. I know from my experience that the working people can expect no aid from the law. The only way they can save themselves is by a strong working class movement. The verdict rendered by the jury in the triangle case proves that conditions have not changed. I only ask that this want of the recognition of the individual value of each poor girl's right to protection may awaken the womanhood of this country to see the necessity of cooperation and that all classes of women shall be bound by a sisterhood too strong, too brave, too intelligent to bear much longer their disenfranchisement. When I was girl, girls worked at home, sewing, cleaning, cooking. Here in America, Girls work in stores on the street, in factories. Good for them if they want to, but even if they work like men, they're still girls. Who will protect them? No one can protect them all. So I don't blame some official. I don't blame the bosses even. I say every man and woman in this city is responsible for this fire. We are all at the mercy of each other. We are all responsible.
In the months following the verdict, the inquiry into who was to blame gave way to a new question. What do we do now? Cry all day, every day? Kill ourselves? Kill others so we share the same terrible power that God seems to wield at his whim? How, in the end, do we bear the crushing burden of survival? There is, of course, no satisfactory answer, but we struggle to find one anyway. 200 testify before fire Eight commission. Eight safety laws passed in wake of Triangle Fire. Fire commission expands scope throughout state. Committee of state. Safety reports 74 buildings and forces 71 to comply Spring with the law. Spring is upon us once again. This season's collection of Simpson Crawford's lawn wastes is 25 laws pushed through state legislature by factory investigation Union committee. membership increases eightfold in New four for years. spring, the racket waste. Censures Triangle Company. Fire prevention inspectors find it still disregards regulations. 19th Amendment ratified. Women win vote. French handmade hand embroidered lingerie shirt waists in Neptune green, antique gold and Thames gray. Max Waste Blank with charged with locking employees in his new Fewer factory. fires here. Decrease in the last six months to the rate of 2,452 Smart, a year. dainty and up to the minute. This lingerie waist is a charming combination of lace and surgeons. Harrison Blank sued for selling fake consumers league labels Girls into Girls brave Gale in a fire drill. First of a series of tests conducted by Edward F. Croker, formerly Fire Chief. Our new line will change the way you dress forever. End of episode three. Thank you for listening to the Triangle Factory Fire Project by Christopher Peeler and Scott Allen Evans. Presented by Hearplay Audio Theatre. Hearplay offers its work free of charge. But if you can make a donation of any amount, we'd be most grateful. All proceeds go to pay our talented company of artists for their time and artistry. To learn more about our work and to join us with a contribution, please visit our website, www.hearplayaudiotheatre.com. The Triangle Factory Fire Project's cast includes Jeremy Beck, Nora Chester, Francesca Di Mauro, Jeffrey C. Hawkins, Jack Koenig, Mayrin Lee, Alan Locus, Victoria Mack, John Plumpus, and Tony Roach. The original music is by Colin McGrath. This audio theater production has been produced and engineered by Daryl Bornstein, who also created the sound design. It was produced, directed, and adapted by Scott Allen Evans. Thank you for listening and your support. I'm Simon Jones.